It is good to see you all on this day that actually ended up turning out nice. As we were walking out of our house, I said to my wife, I was like, it doesn't look like a day I want to go hang out at a park. It's very wet and overcast, but this sun's coming out. It's looking nice. Well, hey, my name is Chad Frontiera, associate pastor here, if we have not met yet, and uh, it is just good to be here with you all and get to experience uh, church together. Uh, if you did not get one yet, uh, we are doing communion today, the first Sunday of each month, and so you're going to want to grab your little communion cup. They're on the, uh, the back table, and while someone's doing that, if they wouldn't mind grabbing me one too, because I forgot. Hey, Skylar, can I get a communion cup? But if you didn't get one, you can grab those up there, and uh, they're like single serve and all that. Thanks. And uh, while I'm saying a couple announcements and stuff like that, it's probably a good idea if you want to go ahead and get them started. Um, they're very hard to kind of open without splashing the juice all over yourself. All right. Well, hey, a couple quick things coming up uh, before we jump into communion and before we jump into the message today with Ryan. Uh, first of all is, is some quick announcements. We are doing churchwide community groups right now, and uh, you can still jump into them. Uh, we are, are having the groups go along with our church series as we study the book of Ephesians, which we're just calling the series Christian, just in quotations, Christian. It's this 11-week study really diving into the identity of what it means to be a Christian, uh, as we see this as, as Paul's, um, you know, most uh, comprehensive work he does, covering a ton of different areas as he's trying to deliver what it means and to be a Christian to these churches. And so we're, we're doing this in homes and online, and we're, we're, we're getting together and, and participating in this. So you can still join them. Um, they'll run all the way up until about Easter, and just before Easter. So you can sign up for them on our app or website, um, most are online. A couple are, are outdoors in person, and, and that, that's great. Um, so go ahead and join one of those if you want to. There's, there's plenty of them. They're in all different areas, different days, different times. But uh, it's, it's a, we've always called them the lifeblood of our church. Um, we are a community church, and that is such a way that we get to experience that is when we, we gather together. Uh, besides that, I want to encourage you to sign up for some of our compassion ministries that we have uh, really been kind of ramping up the past couple uh, months. But we have three different ones. We have uh, two that are local and then one that's cross-cultural. Our local ones are Food Finders, which we had our very first group go this past week, uh, which is great. It's in La Salle. It is a food uh, distribution center, and that's been huge through uh, the pandemic. So they actually started long before the pandemic, though, and what they did is under um, privileged families, uh, you know this, they can, the kids can get their meals through their school. But what happens when they go home on the weekends? So that's how Food Finders really started, is they were about trying to get grocery bags sent home with those kids on Fridays to provide a family of four food for the weekend. Um, but they've definitely morphed during this time as the kids aren't in school. And they are distributing food through uh, LA County, Orange County, and Riverside County. Um, and so we had four volunteers go this past Thursday. Due to COVID, they can only take four volunteers at a time. So we have just blocked out this time for Soundhouse Church of Thursdays, 9 to noon, every Thursday. So we're looking for four volunteers um, to serve on each given Thursday. Um, 
and uh, it, they, they were outdoors, just working, uh, packing boxes and stuff like that. But if you're interested in that, you can come talk to me after, or you can just sign up for that group on the app or website, and you'll get information. Uh, I know for this upcoming Thursday, uh, Joy and I are serving, uh, but we need two more. So if there's two people who say, I can serve this Thursday, 9 to noon, uh, let me know, and we'd love to have you join us this week. Um, but it's a great ministry of, of giving families who, who need it the most um, food at this time. So uh, I know I was talking with uh, some of the women who went there this past week, and they were saying that it felt good amongst this whole thing to, to be able to contribute in some way, to be able to say, okay, what I did today is helping provide for families who, who might be less stable than myself at this time. So definitely consider that. It's a great, uh, great thing to be a part of. We also are partnered with New Life Beginnings, which is a women, women and family shelter in uh, Long Beach. We're going to be looking to do more with them. So if you want to be on part of that team, sign up on our website or app. And then lastly is our Mexico team. We have found just this incredible orphanage called Rancho La Hermosa, uh, just out of um, Puerto Nuevo, Primotapia area. Um, it's just great, great uh, ministry that we've been able to partner with. And we've gone down three times already, and we're looking to have a continued presence uh, where they can begin to lean on us in, in things that they need and uh, depend on us. So it's pretty cool is that we are actually the only church that's, uh, that's been there since last March, um, where they had groups coming once a month. They, they just dropped out. Um, and we, it's all working outdoors and feels safe enough. And we've, you know, said gone three times and we've been able to do it safely, but, um, really cool that we, we have gotten to kind of step up, um, when a, a lot of other churches have not been able to get down there. So if you're interested in being part of that, same thing, sign up to be on the team on the website or app, and we can get you more information on that. Uh, now, lastly, as I said, today is Communion Sunday. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. If you are on um, the Soundhouse app, we have service notes. Um, you'll see, you know, below will be Ryan's notes that he's going to get into in his message, but the top will be uh, notes for our, our worship segment of the service. And, uh, you know, communion is such an important thing that we do together as a body. Um, things like communion are, are, are so important because they're all about participation. It's not just something that you have done once. It's not just something uh, that you believe in or don't believe in. It's a matter of participation. That is, Jesus said that we remember him through this act, this communal act of sitting down and breaking bread and drinking of the juice. Let's go ahead and read, if you will, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three through 26. Paul writes, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, broke it, and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you uh, eat this bread and drink of this cup. You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. I'm going to pray, and then we can take this together. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are. God, you are the God of the universe. You are the God who is uh, bigger than we can comprehend. And yet at the same time, you're the God who's small enough and personal enough that cares that we are participating in his work, his work in Christ and his work in the kingdom that is still at hand. So Lord, as we take this juice and this bread, Lord, let that be a symbol that we are participating in the work that you begun, began with Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.
Good morning, everybody. I'll give you more time, sorry. Okay, I don't hear any more crinkling. Okay, well, welcome. Welcome to Soundhouse Church, and we're glad to see you this morning. It is a beautiful Sunday morning. I uh, didn't think it was going to be, but it turned out to be great. And most importantly, too, I want to say um, happy Tom Brady Day to you guys. So, such a great day to celebrate. Great man. <laughs> I'm very excited about today. Uh, watch somebody become the greatest of all time. Don't text me if uh, they lose today, please. I don't want to hear that. Um, let, me, uh, let me pray and then we'll get started. God, we thank you for today, that we even today got to celebrate communion and that today, uh, just with this, this physical act of communion, God, be the mindset as a unified people, as a people who are under one banner of Christ, one uh, spirit, God, that uh, although we are so very different, all of us, that, God, that you, as one people, uh, have built a church, have built, uh, uh, um, I God, a people that are followers of Christ in unison together. God, I thank you that communion can be that reminding point for us, that we all need you. And thank you for that. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, the Super Bowl, obviously, is today. And, you know, it, probably a good way to maybe even lead, lead into this message is <clears throat> this, even just the mentality that we're going to be dealing with all day today is uh, throughout this passage is even what happens in such a small thing like a Super Bowl or an event or any type of competition. They, you know, some people can be fanatics, right? And so one household, I know that in Michigan, if you grew up not rooting for the Lions and you rooted for the Bears, you were ostracized from your family, right? You were not allowed to come over. You were not allowed to be a part. It was almost like, oh, there's those Bears fans, right? But it's like, get your family member. Even with something as simple as sports, we can experience division, separation, right? We can look at someone as the other, right? And so in a way, what we're going to deal with today on a grand scale, something that's so massive in God's plan is this idea of division and ultimately unity. And I'm a, very, I'm a big believer, a big believer in this is that it, we, we as humans, as hard as we try, and we'll get into this, as hard as we try to bring absolute unity and equality. And you hear this word kind of even being floated around called equity. I, I just personally believe that there's only one, there's only one act that we as humans can ever experience real true equity, and that's the work of the cross. That none of us could do anything, but Christ did it all. And we, no matter who you are, no matter what standing you are, no matter what background, no matter what race, no matter what status you have, we're all experiencing the same thing equally, and that's the work of the cross. So what Christ has done to me is the an example of, of what it means to live in unity and live in unity together. 
And so today we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse, uh, verses 11 through 22. And it's all about this, is how we come, how we became one in Christ. So if you have my notes, you can pull it up. They're very detailed. Um, it'll be almost everything that I'm saying here. So if you want to look back to reference it, you can do that. It's on the app. You can get it. But what today's section that Paul is talking about is ultimately how we became one in Christ. And we're going to kind of dig into this a little bit. Paul speaks of five realities that every believer experiences. And so he takes us through this journey in a way, but he ultimately brings these revelations that we must all be conscious of, and it ultimately drives to unity, right? Drives to an equality under Christ and a togetherness that humankind doesn't necessarily experience fully. But let me just go into this first one here, and it'll be in this first section in chapter 2. And what Paul is going to be talking to is he's basically going to state this reality. The reality is, is you were outsiders once. It's weird being an outsider. If you're new to our church and you're like trying to figure out how our church works, you try to figure out what the kind of vibe, if you will, of our church, it, it is, can be difficult to feel like, how do I fit in here? Uh, how are people here? What's the attitude here? And I, you know, we've moved, my wife and I and our family has, have moved to four different states and all over the country. Every state is so different. If you've experienced this, like <clears throat> the biggest shock for us wasn't necessarily when we moved from Michigan, which is Midwest, a totally different mentality if you've been there, <clears throat> to Southern California. It wasn't a huge jump for us, except for people here were just happier, right? In Michigan, you've got like potholes everywhere, every spring. Everybody's upset when they're driving. There's a lot of like, you know, people giving you the wonderful one finger sign all the time. People are just a little bit ornery. It gets darker earlier there and it's cold. And so there's a little bit of a roughness, gruffness. And then here, what I love about Southern California, it's one of my favorite things about living here is there's a very high optimistic attitude where it's like every day, it's like, isn't it great here today? You do not hear that in Michigan. Isn't it wonderful? Oh, the weather. Like, you're never going to hear that, right? And here, like just even just this outside perspective here, if it's 60 degrees outside, everybody's bundled up, right? In Michigan right now, this temperature, we're wearing shorts and a t-shirt, okay? It's just how it is. You know what I'm talking about. And so there's just this outsider's mentality when you come into a new culture, right? When you're experiencing a new uh, uh, residence, if you will. And I think this is what Paul is starting to try to remind these Gentiles that you were once outsiders. And here's what he says in verse 20, or verse 211. Therefore, remember that once, oh, sorry, that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called uncircumcised. We'll get into this in a minute, but not too much because we, we don't need to dwell on that, but called uncircumcised by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hand. Now he's stating something very important. <clears throat> to us, th this isn't kind of a deal for us anymore, right? We're not saying like, you know, we're not using this type of sign to show that you are part of, a, of the covenant of Christ. So this means something in this day. Right, the uncircumcised at that point really was that these were people that ultimately did not have the favor of God's covenant with them. And so it was an outward sign of an inward work 
and also a covenant that they have with God. It was an outward sign of that. So when they heard this term, they knew what it meant, right? The Jewish people were known for this. And so they knew that they were outside of that covenant. They didn't have favor with God in his covenant. And then when it says made in the flesh by hand, it's referring to this is an outward work when you think of it in just that way, right? It's physical. It's done as a sign of an inward work, but also a covenant from God. But in this situation here, it's an outward sign of an inward commitment and covenant. And the Gentiles did not experience that. They were the outsiders, right? They were the other. And Paul goes at this right away because he wants to tell them, remember at one time. And I think believers, we all have to have this understanding is that remember at one time you also felt outside and were outside. I'm always kind of hounding believers, and not in a mean way, but like, hey, remember you were once the person that you're judging. Remember once you were once someone who was lost like that. Never forget that. And so Paul is reminding them, listen, remember you were once outside, but now something's changed. And we'll get into that in a second. But when we're talking about circumcision. It, it, the reason why he uses this term, we have to go back to Deuteronomy 10, 16. And this is just, a, I want to make a quick connection for you to tie it into this passage. In Deuteronomy 10, 16, he says this, because you have to realize it's more than just a physical act. Just because, I even hate saying this out loud in the park. People are like, what are you talking about over there? But that act, was not just a physical thing that was done and then you were in. It's not because you were circumcised on that, what, eighth day. That doesn't mean you were in. doesn't mean, this Deuteronomy talks about something much deeper. It's not just something that just happens because you were born into it. So listen, Deuteronomy 16. Circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. Meaning this, (laughs) you have to have the mentality that it's, it's, It's not just this physical thing. It's a heart condition that you're going to have to make like an effort to do that you're no longer stubborn. You'll also see that heart circumcision thing referenced in Deuteronomy 36 and Jeremiah 4.4. So this is a part of the Old Testament like history. It was a mindset. It was an understanding the Jewish culture knew. It wasn't just a physical thing. This was a heart thing as well. That we, that we ourselves had to align and try to honor our end of the covenant that God made with us. Romans, Romans uh, 2.28, here's where the shift of that topic of circumcision comes in for us today. 2, uh, 2 verse 28 through 29, and no one is a Jew who is merely, sorry, for no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the Spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but God. So right away, Paul is trying to state something here, that the work of being a part of God's covenant is an inward work. If you, if, if you want to, what we just did with communion is an outward act. But it's really a reflection and a reminder and a statement of an inward work that took place in our life. And so Paul is trying to 
shift people from that mentality that unfortunately in Christ's day, it was more about the outward physical thing and not necessarily always the inward work. Verse 12 describes this problem of being someone who is not of the covenant, someone who is not on the inside, if you will. He describes this, and he says in verse 12, he says, remember that you were at that time, listen to these key words, and see if you can remember what it felt like to not be in covenant with God, not be in relationship with Christ. He says, remember that at one time uh, you were separated, separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth, he's talking to these Gentiles of Israel, and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope, and without God, without God in the world. And I think this is just a great opening statement for these believers and listeners of the church Paul's writing to. And to us today, thousands of years later as believers, is it remember what it was like before you met Christ? Remember what it was like before you entered into covenant with God? Remember that? And by, when we remember that, we can increase our appreciation for the covenant we do have because we can lose sight of that a little bit. So the first reality Paul is pointing out to them is, rem remember, you were outsiders once. The next reality he kind of points out here in this passage is an impossible shift takes place. You were once outside and an impossible shift took place. And here it is in, in verse 13. But now in Christ, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You were once far off. And in biblical terms, far off is not a good thing. Brought near. When someone is near to God's heart, when someone is near to their family or near to where God wants them to be, that's a good thing. Far off is not a good thing when you talk about it biblically. And he says, but you were once far off, but now you're near. And the Bible says that through by near by the blood of Christ. And I, I've always thought, growing up, I thought when people would sing about nothing but the blood of Jesus, I, I always thought for me it was odd because I'm like, why are we singing about blood? This is strange. And I remember when I first like started going to church and I would invite friends and they would sing songs about blood. I was like, I promise this is like, we're not going to sacrifice anything. Like it was just a very strange term, but it had such relevance and it has such relevance for us today and then. Why the term blood is used, if you're not familiar with it, there was a sacrificial system that was set up, and it was in a lot of ancient cultures. But in this culture, in the, in the uh, uh, ancient Hebrew culture, there was a sacrificial system set up for atonement. And I want to read to you just briefly why when it says that you were brought near by the blood, you have to realize the significance of it. Leviticus 17, this was part of the law. It says, for the life of the flesh is in the blood. Very clear. Life comes through the blood. So blood is important. And I have given it for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement for your life. A very clear cut statement is that when blood is shed in that culture at that time, it's life for your life. And so when we see the blood of Christ, the shedding of his blood, it, it's so symbolic and significant, but it, it, it's almost like this image we need to understand. It meant life for life. So now Hebrews 9, 14 in the New Testament, and it 
it, it kind of puts Christ's blood into context. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through etern the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purifying uh, our, our conscience from dead works to serve the living God, right? How much more? This shifted everything. And so Paul's letting them know that not only were you outside, but you were brought near, and it was by the blood of Christ that you were brought near, and it shifted everything. It's, uh, it's no longer, when he talks about this eternal spirit offered, it's not a physical, temporal thing that will live and die, and then another will come and live and die. That was part of their sacrificial system. But it's eternal, and when it's eternal, it's done. It's done, and it's permanent. And so it was a physical, spiritual act before, but now it's just spiritual, and it's done for you. And so there's a weight here and a gravity to the beauty of God's grace and His mercy and His ability in the lack of yours. So he's stating these things of like, listen, you have to appreciate how big and how, how the magnitude of this connection that happened through Christ's blood uh, it, it, it's a permanent connection. If you question your faith and you question your salvation, I think that's fine to ask questions about how you're living. But if you question the permanence of your salvation, you're asking the wrong question. You'll never get the answer that, you, that will be negative. God permanently brought you into his family. What is done by God cannot be undone by anything else. Christ cannot die again for you, right? He cannot resurrect again for you, or he will not. And so what's done is done, and we have to live out of that joy of that. I was looking up what are the strongest chemical bonds, and it was this, there was this uh, bond I didn't really know about. It was called the covalent bond, and it is it's an interesting process because when you're going to bond two things together, this, this chemical bond, basically what it does in you know, I kind of take two things and put them together and be like, oh, those two things must stick to each other. And I kind of am like real simple-minded about it. But what they have figured out to do is they have aligned these electrons in, this, in these atoms to line up with each other so they lock into each other. And that bonds them stronger than you can break it. It's nearly impossible to break it. You may almost break the things that are binding it to get, that are being bound together more than the bond because of this total energy connection that they align to make the bond. It's an alignment of energy. And ultimately, when we look at the blood of Christ, it's this bond that brought two things together that cannot be separated, right? It's impossible. Christ bonded us through his blood, blood permanently through the Father. So why Paul states this is that you are once far off and you will not be far off again. You were once distant, but now you're forever near. And he's building this confidence and this assurance in them. And so he states this reality here, right? It, an impossible shift happened. This fourth reality that he wants to state here, that he goes into starting in verse 14, is he wants to talk about the destruction of division. That division is destroyed through this work of Christ. Division is done. And, it, and I know in our world, it's so divided right now. And it feels like, how are we ever going to get past some of this stuff? 
we're looking at such a 30,000 foot level when it comes to what Paul's saying, view, is that, that there's, there came a destruction of division through Christ. And I just wrote this down. This verse to me speaks about the possibilities of humanity as God intended and its potential. There's a potential now for real unity and real, real connection. We are so easily divided as a culture. It's pretty crazy. Um, even just a, a misunderstood word can divide two people, right? A family situation that happens can divide family members. <clears throat> I'm not kidding you. It's wild to see that people with two different jerseys on can get into a violent fist fight over, over their teams, right? We're easily divided as people. And Paul is stating here that Christ came for unity. And there's a unity that's possible through him. But it's in our human nature, it doesn't seem to work out that way as easily. We need to work through the unity of Christ, I think, to accomplish some things that we have never seen in our relationships. We have never seen in our culture. It has to be under the banner of Christ, though, because that's where the possibility is. Verse 14, it says, For he himself is our peace, who made us both one. Now, he's talking about the insiders and the outsiders, the Jews, the Gentiles. He made us both one, right? And has broken down in the flesh the dividing wall of hostility. We'll, we'll explain some of this in a second. Verse 15, by abolishing the law of commandments, expressing in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man or one new creation in place of the two. So making peace. And verse 16, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. I love this verse. It's probably one of my favorites of the entire section here. Is that these two, and you can name it, like it could be, it could be a family member when you're talking about me and the other. Christ came to destroy the division of the two and actually bring in the one. And so when he uses this term, yes, he's talking about the Jews and the Gentiles, the insiders and the outsiders, but he's talking about us in our everyday life. Christ came to bring into one under him, making peace, he says. The dividing wall of hostility is interesting because there's a little bit of historical and architecture around this phrase. For us, we don't understand it. But the dividing wall of hostility was a four and a half foot wall that was around the entrance to the courts of the temple. And, and it was, Josephus is like a, 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 a historical figure who kind of spoke on historical things in Jesus's time. And he states and talks about this wall of hostility. Now, Paul's phrasing here doesn't fully mean just the wall of hostility. It's got a greater meaning. But what it was, was there's a four and a half foot wall that a Gentile, a non-Jew, couldn't pass to go into the courts of the temple. They had to observe from afar. They almost had to appreciate it from afar off. They couldn't be near. And it was just a known thing. And these, these, these people from Ephesus probably didn't know this wall of hostility, this this dividing wall. They probably weren't familiar with that. Maybe if they were Jews living in that area, maybe they were familiar with it. But 
Gentiles probably didn't understand it. Paul's talking about something bigger. What the Gentiles did understand is this hostility, this division, this wall of hostility is probably the greater meaning Paul's speaking to, and that is the law. Now, the law was so, pro- so prevalent and known that even Caesar in Rome wouldn't even, couldn't even take uh, uh, Jews into his military because they wouldn't follow their dietary laws, and they had to Sabbath, and so they weren't good for war. Like, he made concessions for that. And so it was known amongst the culture that there's this division between the two people. And Paul is saying, if you know the wall, have that in your mind that's at the temple. Christ came to destroy that and bring it down. So there is no near, there is no far, there's only near. But if you need the law, Paul is saying that this thing that separated us so far is Christ says he completes it. Paul says he removes it. And that there is no more this dividing thing that causes this hostility between two people. And when he says the two are now one, is that the divide of the other is now removed and replaced with one. I love this this section of Ephesians because we need to hear this more and more and more. You know, when there's division in church... It's such a tragedy because these are two people who were brought together to be one in Christ, now dividing over things that they don't need to divide about. It's not the example Christ laid for us. But division is something that we as a culture, we still care about today. Whenever I think about mankind trying to bring unity and uh, 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 get rid of division. There are decent attempts at it. I was watching this documentary about Alexander the Great, great historical figure, but they had said something I didn't really catch before in, in, in anything I've learned about him, is that his, his culture in Greece, his armies in Greece, their greatest enemy was the Persian Empire. And when they went and they actually defeated the Persian Empire, It would have been the greatest celebration because they were their greatest enemies. But Alexander did something different. He wanted to integrate the two cultures together. His his father, who he, he proceeded to take the throne from his father, hated the Persian Empire. Alexander now conquered them and now is trying to integrate them. But Alexander the Great does something different. He himself marries a Persian uh, princess. And that was, people were furious that he did this because they were very much in a class system of we're better than them, essentially. And then he forced 10,000 of his soldiers to marry and integrate with Persian women. And they had no choice. They had to do it. And he was trying to force a, a dividing wall to come down, but he was forcing it. If you look all the way throughout history and you look all the way to the 60s with Martin Luther King Jr., although the great work that he did and started and had continued to go on, ultimately that was through legislation that we were going to try to bring down division and separation, which was a good thing. But when you look at those, those are all (laughs) attempts that cannot accomplish what God accomplished because 
what Christ accomplished is not by force, like Alexander, and it's not by legislation. It's by the heart. And that will bring true unity. That will bring true connectedness. And that will break down division and walls like we've never seen. It's the heart transformation. A law cannot transform a heart. Forcing someone cannot transform a heart. Christ transforms the heart. And so Christ came to destroy division and bring unity. The last, or or, sorry, the second to the last here of these revelations Paul brings in this scripture is this, is he says, ultimately that we're citizens, we're saints, and we're family. He kind of says, you were once outsiders. Something happened, a shift took place through Christ's blood. And it began to destroy division, and it should destroy division. And then, now the next phase Paul brings us into is, and when we're not divided, we see ourselves as citizens, saints, and family members, which further makes division almost impossible. And so, I would say this, if you, if you don't realize this, that Christ is the mechanism that made you a stranger into a family member. L- look around this church for just one second. You, you can look around. I, I, I don't, these, these people sitting around you, you probably did not know them before you started just kind of coming to our church. You thought, oh, that's a weird sounding church. I might, maybe I'll try it out. Or it's in my neighborhood. Or a friend recommended me. And then you walk in, and then here you are a few years later. And I have this with you, who I didn't know before you came into the church doors, is that you have a sense of family when it comes to the people you're sitting with here. There are people that you know now that you're so close with that you didn't know a few years ago. And you're part of a family. And so Paul wants to let them know that, listen, there's no longer us and them, your citizens, your saints, and your family. I'm going to explain that in just a second. But if you've experienced that through the church, let this passage resonate with you. Verse 17, and he came and preached peace. He's talking about Jesus. And you who were far off and peace to those who were near. So he preached peace to those who are far off and he preached peace to those who were near, meaning the Jews and the Gentiles, both. They both need Christ. It says, for through him, uh, we both have access to one spirit to the Father. In verse 19, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Now, let's go back to that section where he says that Christ preached peace. Christ, if, if you don't know this yet, Christ is our example to walk this earth and try to strive to be like. And he preached peace and he modeled. And everything Christ preached and modeled, if you look at it, maybe through the family lens, it was, a, it was he's preaching family. And let me give you some examples. If family would do these things. So when you think about Jesus for a second, you're going to think about through the lens of family. Family would do these things when you walk, watch Christ walk. Family would share with struggling family members who are in need. So when you look at John 6 and Jesus gives what he can and which is to feed 
these hungry people. Family would share with struggling family members. Family would be close to a family member who's ill in the time of their suffering. They're close during the time of suffering. So Christ would step outside of the cultural norms towards his family member and be with lepers, be with people with conditions that people thought were so just, ugh. But I guarantee you those family members of those lepers weren't abandoning them. They were trying to help them and care for them, change their gauze, right? Try to bring them food. So Christ treated people like family. Luke 17, that's in. Family members would reach out to the estranged family member, the one who's far off, like the woman at the well in in, uh, John 14, or John 4. And so Christ would go out of his way for the family member who's far off. Family members will do that. We'll chase each other down. We'll go look for them. Family members would mourn with family members who experience loss. So Christ did that in John 11 with Lazarus. As they all mourned, he mourned. Jesus, it almost feels like was everything he modeled was family. And the family members would call out other family members who've lost their way, like in Luke 11, when he's calling out the Pharisees and saying, hey guys, you've lost your way, right? You're off base. Somebody's got to tell you. I remember when I first started ministry, my, my parents, you know, and, I, and, and I'd start sharing and I'm, I'm speaking and, you know, sometimes when you get off and you, uh, of the stage and you, you feel like you've done a good message, and you're just kind of like a little bit, yeah, I did a good job. I mean, people were laughing. They were enjoying it. They understood more. People were like, wow, that meant so much to me. And then I would see my parents and they would quickly remind me and humble me pretty fast. Like you kind of overtold that story a little bit. You know that, right? You're like, that's not exactly how that happened. And, you know, they just kind of brought me back down to earth and like, that's really good. But, you know, you can continue to work on this. Or if I was just out of line, they would kind of call me out. That's what family members do, right? That's why we need them in our life. And Jesus modeled this over and over and over. So if you want an example of bringing unity and modeling what Christ did, it's treating people as if they were family. And he modeled that every step that he took. When the Bible says citizens, right? Citizens, saints, and family members. When the Bible says citizens, right? It means that you're a part of something. When you're an American, if you find yourself in another country, you still have citizenship here. It's a part of who you are. There's a lot of privileges that come with just being an American. There is a a way of life from just being an American. There's an understanding about life and expectation about from being an American. If you were in another land and you ran into another American in a different country, you'd be like, oh, my, an American, right? There's something about what we, we attach ourselves to because we're from it. When the Bible says saints, saints is this, and I just will point it real clear. It doesn't mean you're a holy person who just, you're a saintly person. And, and, and so I wouldn't go around saying like, hey, you're talking to a saint here. I mean, a saint is status. It's a status, and not a status above or below. It's an equal status. You're a saint. I'm a saint. How God views us is saint. 
It's not based on your behavior. This is based on status that Christ purchased for you. And then when he says family members in that verse, we're talking about blood relation through the blood of Christ. You know what's weird about family? Is your family can drive you crazy. Don't raise your hand if you have a family member who drives you crazy because they could be sitting like here. But your family can drive you crazy, but it's normally if they weren't your family, if they weren't of your blood, you... (laughs) you would not want to be around them. You wouldn't give them the time of day or the grace that you give them, but it's family. I, was, uh, I did the 23 and Me, where I'm trying to find like, a, you know, what, what makes me up. And I get these notifications of like people who share my DNA and could be my family members. And even in that, when I see somebody who's close and could possibly be a second or third cousin removed, I'm just like, oh, I even have like a little affection of like, wow, like I should reach out to them. I don't even know them, but there's a relation there through blood. Family, and when Christ talks about family, or Paul talks about family, it's, it means that we're bound together. And man, if, if division shouldn't exist uh, anywhere, it should not exist in the church. We're family. We have to look past a lot of things. Yes, you're going to have some crazy family members, but they're your family. The last thing Paul talks about, this last reality in this verse here, is ultimately he's letting them know that (laughs) you were outsider, something, some shift happened beyond your ability that Christ did. And, you know, we are, we are family, we're together, right? Division doesn't belong amongst us, right? And then he ultimately says, let's take it down to the next step. Purpose. Purpose of why all this has taken place and the beauty that can come out of this. And it's that we are the temple of God. And I, and I want you to hear that the way it's meant to be heard is that, that literally Christ dwells in you. There is no longer a physical place where heaven meets earth. Heaven meets earth right here. And so this final verse is the conclusion of Christ's work of unity. And it's in verse 20. It says, when he's, when he's uh, talking about being a part of a family member, he says You're bu- it's built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. I'll explain that in a second and whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Verse 22, in him you are also being built together into the dwelling place of God by the Spirit. What a beautiful way to finish chapter 2. He takes us through this journey to the point of where, wait, wait, we're a part of something. We're family and we're a part of something. Heaven is meeting earth here and something should happen from that. The cornerstone, when you hear that, it's, it's the cornerstone. And I'm not a builder, Richard. You probably would know this more than me. But in, in ancient times, the cornerstone was the, the stone that laid the direction for the foundation. It was the cornerstone that really was what you laid in place to make sure everything was going to line up. 
And then when the Bible says that Christ being the cornerstone and the apostles and the prophets also a part of that foundation, laid the foundation, meaning that they lined up with the cornerstone to lay the foundation so it's trustworthy what they're teaching you. And the cornerstone lays the foundation. The apostles set in the direction to, lay, to complete the foundation so that we can lay all the other blocks on top of it. And so we have the scripture, we have the example of the apostles, but following the direction of Christ who laid the cornerstone, the most important stone. And then we ourselves then are being built into this holy temple as the church in Christ's example and the apostles' example. Right? The holy temple is this, the church comprised of many lights. And we'll close with this. A whole, the, God's holy temple is the church comprised of many lights. Man, I think about this concept of many lights making up God's temple. It really ultimately is this. It is, it's that unity of the church building God's holy temple. Ultimately, it's that unity of light that pushes back darkness. The church is extraordinarily effective against darkness in the world when it's unified, right? When we are unified, letting our light shine, not covering it up, right? Acting as where heaven meets earth and what God wants us to do with that as a unified church, like the darkness that we experience in life, the division, the destruction, all the things that break our hearts does not stand a chance when the church, the holy temple, is being built with people who are full of light and ready to shine that light. That's ultimately the work and the direction that Paul is leading his, uh, these, these people in Ephesians here of, of the church of Ephesus and ultimately us. He's taking them through. There was a place where there was no hope and now you're a part of something that shines so bright it pushes back darkness in the world. He's setting them up. He's preparing them for a life of living where we shine our light everywhere we go and we follow the footsteps of Christ and we live, live as if we're family. I'll close with this. And if you guys wouldn't mind bowing your heads. I, th I would say if I'm going to ask one thing, I would just ask that you just reflect on that you must walk like Christ. When you read scripture, read it like a family member that he He's acting as if he's a family. This is his family. And look at how he acts. But we must walk like Christ. We must remember that you were once a stranger. Do not forget that. That dims our light, I think. That dims our witness, and it definitely can make us apathetic. Do not forget you were once a stranger. And don't forget what that was like. I love it when people come into the church and and welcome and greet and love on people because they remember what it was like when they came in when they were new. Remember, you experienced an impossible miracle. It was not by your hand. So don't take credit for it and don't act like you're better than anyone else because you're not. You couldn't do it. Christ did it. You have equal status and standing with your other fellow believers. Remember, God's family ultimately breaks down division and does not create them. The call to the believer 
is to reach towards the far, reach towards the other in love and compassion. Remember that you belong as a citizen, a saint, a family member. You have status in God's kingdom in his world, and it is what is most important, and that you are a saint, and you are equal in status, so you are, can never be more holy than the believer next to you. I don't care how hard we try. You cannot be more holy than them. Your status in heaven is not greater than theirs when it comes to your saint status. But we are family members, bound by blood. Remember that God the Father dwells in you It's where heaven meets earth. And it's a great privilege that God has chosen to dwell there as his temple. And I would say lastly, remember, you are stone laid to build the church of light that darkness cannot withstand, the Bible says. So I want to encourage you today as you walk out today, Please take a moment and reflect what it means to be a part of the church. What it means to be a part of unity. And what can God do today in your life that can promote unity and not division? If unity is to be uh, done, then work towards it. Don't work towards division. That is not in Christ's plan. And ultimately, The very best thing for our world is for people to be under the banner of Christ who is the promoter of unity, who brings two together to make one. So let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you so much for your word. We thank you, God, for Adzi's people in Ephesus 2,000 years ago in an ancient culture of Rome. God, we're here in the United States and we're reading these scriptures and we're being also challenged like they were. We're being challenged in the same way, God, and we're called to the appreciation we have for the blood shed for us, God, is the fact that we as a church will shine bright in the world and push back darkness in this world. And God, that we will live as you intended us to be how Christ lived. Help us give us strength when we feel like we can't. God, help our attitudes when we struggle. And God, help us, any mindsets or mentalities, God, that don't belong there, God, help us to weed them out of our life that ultimately are separators between us and the other. Hey, God, we're called as people who are near to go to the far off, God, and bring the gospel to them, God. Help us, give us the strength, the the, the ability through your spirit and the passion to do so, to bring to and make them one. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for being with us in our study on uh, Ephesians, and we will continue it next week. I hope you have a wonderful day today, and I hope that all of you will celebrate this great, great day, Tom Brady Day. God bless.